My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. We are finishing a series today on questions. Questions I've wanted to ask God. Questions that God seemingly uh, doesn't answer the way we want. And so we've looked at a, a, you know, a, a variation of questions. And today I want to look at a question that I think is really in keeping with our age. And it's the last one I want to take a look at today. And it's the question of God, why won't you answer my prayers? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Um, it's a frustrating question, but it's not a new question because we've all asked it. We've all prayed. We've sought, you know, the, the doors of heaven. We've knocked on those. We've pounded on it. We've waited. And, and we know that God is there, but, and we know he tells us to ask. But, but we're just wondering, why isn't God answering my prayers? It's not a new question. Uh, one of the earliest people in the Bible is a guy named Job. And he shows up in the book of Job. And he says this in verse 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 20. I cry to you, I cry to you, O oh God, but you don't answer. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, I am begging God. I am praying to God over and over again. God, I cry to you. I'm crying out to you. I mean, constantly, day and night, my tears have been my food. The psalmist say, all I'm doing is waiting for you. I cry to you, God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. Man, Job is hurting right now in this moment. He is just pouring out all his emotions to God. God, I need you in this situation. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message puts it into a beautiful paraphrase. He says, I shout for help, God, and get nothing. No answer. I stand to face you in protest, and you just give me a blank stare. Man, that, that, that is beautifully painful. I know you've been there. If you've been a follower of Christ for any length of time, you have cried out. You have had a struggle, maybe a struggle with your family, a struggle with your marriage, a struggle with children, a struggle with your neighbors, your job or your school, whatever your situation in life. You've been there where you are just desperate on your knees before God and you're begging God to show up. And yet day after day, you hear nothing and you wonder, does God even exist? Does God even care? I mean, I'm crying out to you, God, and I don't hear a thing. What is wrong with you, God? I thought you said you loved me. I thought you said you'd provide. I thought you said that if I gave everything to you, you would take care of me. But it doesn't look like you're delivering, right? Well, you know, one of the challenges of this is that I believe we have a misunderstanding 
of how God in prayer works. Some of us treat God like he's a Aladdin's lamp and all we got to do is come up and dust it off because, you know, we only rely on God when we need him, right? And blow the dust off and we rub the lamp a little bit and Robin Williams, as the genie comes out, tells us a few jokes and he gives us three wishes, right? And, and, and our last wish is for more wishes, right? Sometimes, let's be frank, we treat God as a, a genie stuck in a bottle that we stick away until we need him. And we just need a couple wishes because that's what God is, right? He's just a magic genie who answers when we need him. But other than that, we stick him away. Uh, other times we view God as like a magic wand. And, and, you know, we pull it out at the right time and we say the right words, abracadabra or in Jesus' name or whatever we say. And we go, there you go, God, I want you to pull that rabbit out of the hat. And I'm waiting for you to do that. This is a trick. Because it doesn't normally work like this. And so you're going to somehow maneuver that. You're going to saw the woman in half. And we know it's not real, but somehow it's going to look like that, right? Other times we view God like a first aid kit. And, and we keep it away. How many of you have a first aid kit in your car? Uh, you know, you carry extra bandages. Uh, you know, my wife and, and uh, sons, we went on a hike yesterday. We carried moleskin, some thick bandages, and some other band-aids just in case. This was a long hike. And we put those things away. Thankfully, I didn't need them, but I had them stuck in a little pouch in the backpack, right? We treat God like that sometimes. We, we, uh, we, we've got a cut. We've got an owie, right? Uh, we're bleeding out. We've got a pain. We burned ourselves in the stove or something. And we rush to the first aid kit. And the only purpose of that first aid kit is when we need it, that's when it helps us. And we treat God like that. We treat prayer like that. You know, other times, and I know I've felt this way, we're like in a tug of war with God. Prayer is a tug of war. And if you can get enough people to be on your side, if you can dig in, if you can make sure to avoid the mud pit, you can pull and pull and pull. And one day God is just going to get exhausted and give up, right? Is that really how prayer works? Is God some magic genie? Do we just wave a wand? Do we just pull out a band-aid? Do we just keep, you know, strong on that rope? Is that how God wants us to treat him? Is that how we're to be seeing prayer? Many years ago, I had just come to Sunrise in 94 as a youth pastor, and my buddy Dan uh, Bronlewy and I were, were doing some weekly gatherings, and so we read a book together called how, uh, Too Busy Not to Pray. It was really good because it taught me about having a daily prayer life, about an hour of prayer a day and walking through it, and it gave an outline. really enjoyed it. I had a section about how God answers prayers, and I got to admit, this is very simplistic, super simplistic. But it really encouraged me because it, it helped me just kind of fashion it, frame it on a, a post-it note or a three-by-five card. And, and, he, and the author says it this way. This is how God answers prayer. He says, if the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If your heart is wrong, God says grow. And if the request is right, the timing is right, and your heart is right, God says go. Now, why did I like that such a simplistic? It's not even quite entirely accurate, but why did I like it? Well, because of no, slow, grow, and go. My little pea brain could understand that. I could get that, and I could start evaluating my prayers and requests and responses like, what's wrong here? Maybe God's wanting me to slow down. Maybe God's saying no for a reason. Maybe God is telling me to grow up. And if he opens the doors and I just rush out of that, then maybe everything's okay. Now, what I would like to do today is I'd like to start with Jesus. I'd like to end with Jesus. I'd like to start with him because 
he told us very clearly to pray. He said this in this great sermon on the mount. He says, keep on asking. He's talking about prayer now. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find what you're looking for. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. If you don't ask, you don't receive. For everyone who seeks, finds. If you don't seek, you don't find, right? And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You can't just stand there and wait for the door to open. You've got to knock. Now, but I know, I know because I've been there. Um, we've, we've been asking, right? We've been seeking. We've been knocking. So why are there times when God seemingly ignores us? Or as Job says, he just doesn't look at us. He just doesn't listen to us. I mean, was Jesus just false advertising here? Was this like a bait and switch scam? Just maybe it was a faith exercise to pray and know that we're not going to get it. Or is there something going on here? Is Jesus just teasing? What's the problem? I know you've had this question. If you've had a heartache, if you've, you've given your life to Jesus and you keep praying, or maybe some of you are here and you're, you're thinking about this, you're watching this, you're listening to this, and you haven't truly given your life to Jesus yet. You're, you're kind of checking it out. Maybe you've been playing the game and you're, you've been in the building or you've been watching us online and you'd say you're a Christian, sure, and you know some songs and you know some words, but you know in your heart you're not truly a follower of Christ. Um, you, know, you, you know you're playing a game. Maybe Jesus is just playing a game. Maybe he's just saying, I'll give you an exercise. If you can keep up with me, good for you. What's going on with Jesus? Why doesn't God answer our prayers? If you've prayed and prayed and prayed and you still have received no answer, what's wrong? Are you lacking faith? Is God just not listening? Or is something else going on? And that's what I want to talk about today because I think the deeper question, the deeper question I want to ask is this. Okay, Let's cut down to the very bottom of it. Why doesn't God answer the prayer the way I want him to answer it? Why does God say no? That's the deeper question. Why does he say no? I mean, didn't Jesus say this? And he did. It's in the Bible. And there are billions of copies. You can, you know, fact check him on this. You can ask for anything in my name. And I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I mean, you could get out your, your, your white highlighter and you could scratch out. You could ask for, and then the word anything, just put the white out on there and write in a new truck, right? Write in a new family. Maybe not a new family. A family, right? Write in something else. Write in a raise. Because according to Jesus, you can ask for a raise in my name and I will do it, Right? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Is that what it means to pray in his name? I mean, we know that God doesn't answer everything the way that we want, right? So what is Jesus saying here? I mean, the Bible's full of times where God said no, like with an exclamation point after it. No. I mean, think about this. Uh, Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, he had this son that he had gotten, you know, with the handmaiden Hagar, and he kind of skirted God's rules and his plan on this. And he goes, okay, God, why don't you just make Ishmael the promised son? God's answer was no. Yeah, but, but I've already kind of worked out the system. I, I've uh, cut a few corners, but I'm helping you out, God. Why don't you just do it my way? God said no. Um, David, man, 
David said, God, why don't you spare the life of this child? It was my sin, not his sin. God said, no, and the child died. Moses, he led the people out of Egypt up to the promised land. And yeah, he had some struggles along the way, no, no doubt. But because of his sin and a disobedient act, God said, you can't go in. And, and Moses like, please let me go into the promised land. God's like, no, quit asking me. I said, no, no is what's best for you. Jonah, I think about him. He said, I want to take a Mediterranean cruise the other way. <laughs> and God said, no, you're going to do it my way. So why does God say no? I want to give three examples from the life of Paul and just three statements that I, I hope would help you today. They've helped me. Because um, a denied prayer request, when you hear God say no, it's one of the most, it's the deepest mysteries of the Christian life, right? I mean, because I thought Jesus said, if you finish your prayer with, in Jesus' name, I could pray anything, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Sure sounds like that's what he said. Well, why does God say no? The first thing I want to talk about is God says no. God says no when he has a bigger perspective. Now think about this. We, we are not God. I, I, I know, you, well, hopefully you know that. We're not God, right? We don't know everything. We don't have all knowledge on this one. Uh, we can't see the whole picture. God has a bigger view than we do. He's, he's from eternity to eternity. In fact, it says in Psalm 147.5, these words, how great is our Lord, our God. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. We know that life is unpredictable. We know that uh, we can't see into the future. We don't have all the answers. Uh, we don't know everything about everything, right? No matter how smart you are, you just don't know everything about everything. Our knowledge and power are limited. But God is not limited by our limitations. He is God. Wh whatever you know, draw, draw a whole circle on a big page. Get a poster board. Go to the side of a barn. Draw a big circle. And that's all knowledge, all everything. It, it, whatever could be known, if, if we live for thousands and thousands more years and all the science and all the, all the intelligence of the world, write it all down about every place, about everything. And, and, then, and then this huge circle, make a little dot. <laughs> and that's how much we know, right? That's how much you know, that's how much I know. So we know that there's so much more that we don't know, right? That's what the Bible tells us, that, that there is this knowledge out there that's really unsearchable because we don't know. We can't, our brains cannot understand all this. We're told in Proverbs 2.8 that he guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to them. Sometimes, and I found this in my experience, God says no to protect me from something I don't know about, from something for the future, an unseen problem. Man, I've prayed, have you been, have you ever done this? I pray and pray and pray and pray. And God says no. And then a year later or 10 years later, you look back and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for not answering that prayer request. Thank you for saying no, uh, because you had a bigger perspective. You had a bigger picture in mind. You know, the life of Paul is a good example of this. Again, if anybody could have, you know, gotten a prayer request answered, it would have been Paul. He saw Jesus. He was instructed by Jesus. One of the greatest preachers for Jesus. And yet, you know, God said no to Paul on a couple of occasions. I, I read through this years ago, and we preached this in Acts recently, and it really just stunned me. Take a look at this in Acts. In, in the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul, now again, he's doing a good thing for Jesus. He's preaching Jesus, right? He's wanting to go to these areas. So Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had said no, had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. So I don't know how it worked out. The Bible doesn't say, but they wanted to preach in this area and the Holy Spirit shut them down and said no. 
I mean, that sounds like a good request, right? I want to go to this area. Holy Spirit says, no, don't go to that area. Does it mean I don't love the people there? That's not what it means. Does it mean that Paul and Silas have the wrong motive? Doesn't mean that at all. It just means I don't want you to go there. I want you to go somewhere else. Then coming to the border of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. The spirit of Jesus, God's spirit said no. Isn't that kind of weird? This is Paul preaching the gospel, going out, being set out there and set free to share Jesus. The Holy Spirit shuts them down. The Holy Spirit shuts them down. But look at this. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And an amazing thing happens. One night, Paul is sleeping, and he gets this dream, this vision about a man from Macedonia. That's Greece. They're in Turkey at this point. Another country, right? Literally another continent. And all of a sudden, he gets this vision. Come over here. And so they set sail for Greece. Now, what's funny is they don't meet a guy. They meet a gal. They meet Lydia. We saw this in Acts 16 and then 17. And they plant this church of Philippi. And then Paul travels all around Greece. So he doesn't just go to this one community. He goes to Thessalonica. He goes down to Athens, goes to Corinth. God, through Paul, by saying no, redirects him because he's got a, a bigger perspective on what he wants to do. When I was in high school, I set my sights on going to college so that I could get into business management. I took some accounting classes. I got you know, this, this, this course I was going to go on, I was going to work in San Francisco. I've told you this before. And I wanted to work in one of those big buildings. The Transamerica would have been nice because it's a pyramid. You know, it'd be kind of fun to work in a pyramid, right? And not be a slave. <clears throat> of course, I would have been a slave in a different way. Um, but, but I wanted to do that. My vision was I wanted to manage people. I wanted to do presentations. I wanted to lead people. And yet God said no. And after two years, it, it was just No. And he gave me a different direction. He had a bigger perspective in my life. I would have never imagined that I would have ever been a pastor, youth pastor, senior pastor. I would have never worked in churches, never planted churches. I would have never, ever thought I'd be, you know, standing up preaching in front of thousands or hundreds or you on Facebook right now. I would have never imagined that for my life. But God had a bigger perspective for me. I couldn't see it. I just had to figure out what the no meant. If that's you right now, I want you to know he has a heart for you and he loves you. And even though he might be seemingly thwarting your plans, he's got a bigger perspective. God also says no when he has a better plan. Because I've seen that in my life. Sometimes God has a better plan. We think our plan is plan A. Our plan is like plan Z, right? Not even on the radar of plans that would work out. Psalm 37, I, I memorized this as a youth in a different translation. Take delight in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will help you. Gosh, I used to think that all that meant was that God was going to give me whatever my heart desired, right? Whatever I wanted, I would have. God would be like a vending machine, right? Whatever I wanted, I pushed the button, put in the prayer, the dollar bill, push the button. D45, and I get the M&Ms, right? I get the Diet Coke, whatever it was. That's not what he means by that. I only learned later that it means to, to delight yourself in the Lord, to enjoy the Lord, put the Lord first in your life. Make him the most important part of your life. And then do whatever you want because he's gonna put the right desires in you. Augustine said it this way, love God with all your heart and do whatever you want. Isn't that cool? Love God with all your heart. And then just do whatever you want. Why? 
Not that you'll have free reign to do the wrong thing, but your heart will be tuned to do the right thing. I mean, if, if you love God passionately, if you put him first, you're going to want to please him. You're going to want to obey him. You're going to want to honor him. Well, he's going to put his plan in your heart. Sometimes God has a better plan because of his infinite wisdom. Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We got to realize God's thoughts, his ways, his plans are higher than anything we can understand. And if he has a better plan for us, isn't that in our heart deeply, truly what we want? His best plan for us? I mean, that old TV show that was way before my time still rings true for me. Father knows best. God is aware of the many ways he could solve our problem, answer our prayers, and he has a better plan for us. You know, we've got to wait for God, not just in his time, but in his own way. I don't know about you, but I get a preconceived idea of how God's going to do it. I get this idea of exactly how God should work out my problem, right? It doesn't always work out that way, though. I want to take the least costly, least painful way of getting there, don't you? Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, I think about a couple examples in the Bible I wrote down this week. Daniel. Why did God do it that way? Why did God stick Daniel in the lion's den and then close the mouth of the lions? Wouldn't it have been a better thing for God to work his magic and Daniel never go in the lion's den? Well, no. Daniel would have never learned that lesson of putting his faith and trust in God. He would have never learned that he worships the God who shuts the mouths of the hungry beasts. What about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They got thrown into the fire furnace. Wouldn't it have been better if there was a miracle there and the fire kept going out? I mean, that would have been a cool story. Every time they get the fire and they go to throw them in there, the fire just goes out. Well, that actually wasn't the best plan. The best plan was that they go into the fire and God show up in the midst of the fire and they not even get burnt or singed or have the smell of smoke on them. See, that's the greater miracle right there. I think it would have ruined their choice because... They chose not to bow down. What kind of cheapened this story? What about Paul? And Paul wanted to go to Rome badly. He wanted to preach. He wanted to travel there. I mean, stand up in um, the big places. The Colosseum wasn't built yet, but to stand up in the Colosseums of Rome, the arenas of Rome, preach to the crowds. And yet God's plan was to take him to Rome, but in chains. And not to preach to thousands, but, but to people, to dozens. More importantly, to write some of the New Testament, to give us some of the letters that are so impacting of our lives today. That was God's plan. He had a bigger perspective, and he had a better plan. Finally, I just want to say this. When God says no, man, I think he has a better plan. He has a better purpose, a greater purpose for us. When God says no, he wants to do something bigger than we could ever imagine. Again, back to Isaiah 46. Remember the things I have done in the past? For alone I am God. I am God. There is none like me. Only I can tell the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. See, God isn't obligated to follow the plan according to our way. I mean, he isn't even obligated to explain everything to us about the plan. He doesn't have to check in with us. 
I mean, in our nightly prayers before we put our head to the bed and we kneel down and we pray, and it's like, okay, God, I'm checking in. How are you doing with my requests? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me advise you, God, on how it should work, right? He's not obligated to that. He doesn't need our approval for what he does in our life. God may have a purpose that we would never understand. I mean, even in this world, maybe this side of heaven, we will never understand why we struggle with things we do. We'll never understand. I was talking to a friend, mental illness. Maybe we'll never understand why some people struggle with mental illness or physical handicaps, disabilities, right? Maybe we'll never understand some of the things that we cannot change about this life. And I could just be honest, maybe you feel like you're in a dead-end marriage and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried or a dead-end job or the struggles in your family or, or your neighborhood. They just never seem to change and you just wonder why God doesn't show up. Maybe you just have to trust and realize he's got a bigger purpose. He's got a greater plan for you. Maybe the reason he's saying no right now is because he has a bigger yes that might not be revealed even in this lifetime. Remember those people of old, Hebrews 11? Uh, God gives a shout out to all these folks. But it says over and over again, they didn't get all that they were promised in this world. They were looking for a better city, a better place, uh, a city whose foundations were not built by human hands, but built by God. Maybe that's when he's going to reveal his better plan for us. I believe that behind every problem, there's a purpose. Behind every problem, there's a purpose. And the purpose is an eternal purpose. It's an eternal purpose that we may not see right now, but if we can get our eyes off of our temporary, our temporary understanding, we might see a greater eternal purpose. Back to the Apostle Paul. I think no greater example exists of this than Paul's example of his pain. He writes this, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. It's a metaphor, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, now, that would be tough, right? He says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. What do you think God would do? This is Paul. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Oh, Paul, I love you. You're my messenger to the Gentiles. Of course I'm going to answer anything you want. That's not how it went down, my friends. Look what it says. It says, each time God said to me, no, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. I prayed over and over and over again, right? Again and again and again for this. And God shut it down and said, no, no, no. I've got a bigger I've got a bigger perspective. I've got a greater plan for you, a better plan, an, an eternal purpose. I want to do something huge in you. And it all stems from the fact that if you learn to trust in my grace, my power is going to work through your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, that is exactly a 180 of the world. That is exactly opposite of the way the world works. We boast of our power. We boast of our wisdom. We boast of our wealth, right? But what we should be boasting in, Jeremiah tells us, is that we know God. And we know him and we've drawn close to him. And that whatever he wants to do is fine with us. And even especially in our weaknesses and our pains and our struggles, 
God is going to show up. Have you come to the point in your life when you want God's will over anything, any desire? Have you taken your weaknesses, your struggles, your stresses and strains, and have you said, God, I want you to do something powerful in that, but not powerful in that the world would look at me and go, what a powerful person, but would look at me and go, how do, that, how do they keep going? It's the grace of God. How do they persevere? It's the grace of God. How is that person so strong, bearing under the weight of those circumstances? Because they have the confidence of Christ, right? You know, one of the marks of emotional maturity and one of the marks of spiritual maturity is being able to receive a no and go on. You know when you want something and you hear no? Have you ever been a kid? Sure you have. Do you have kids? Maybe you do. You know that a mark of immaturity is to throw a tantrum when you get a no, right? But as a mom or dad, a grandma or grandpa, aunt or uncle, you know that sometimes they just don't see. And the best answer is a no, you know. Grandmas and grandpas, I know you provide candy for your kids, even though mom and dad say no. You sneak it in there. You bake some cookies for them. I know you do that. My mom does it all the time, yeah, you know. But you know you still have a limit to that, right? You still don't just throw them in the middle of a candy store and pay all the bills. Because you know that wouldn't be good for them. Because just because we want it doesn't mean it's good for us. I mean, as we grow up, we learn to accept a no answer. Because that authority knows more than we know. I think that's a mark of spiritual maturity. Is when we cry out and God says no, we go, okay, God, I don't like it but you must have a better plan for me, a bigger purpose, a bigger perspective. Even Jesus himself. Here Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, the night that he'd be betrayed. And he cries out with these words, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He looks into this cup of suffering of what he's going to endure for you and for me, that he would die on the cross for our sins, that all of the pain, all the brokenness of this world, all the willful disobedience that you and I pursue, all the rebellious, sinful actions, all the times we lack faith, all the times we go astray, when we try to be God in our lives and call the shots, that had to be paid for, either by you and me or by God, by Jesus himself. And he looked into that cup of suffering, knowing that he was going to go to the cross and bear the weight of that sinfulness, all that is justly required of that, the hell that you and I should endure for eternity. And he looked into that, and that was pretty painful. That was pretty, I mean, I'll use my word, scary. I don't know if that's the best word or not. It's probably not theologically correct, but that's why it would cause me to shudder, that's for sure. And he looked in and he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will be done. God, if you say no, then I'll say yes to your plan. I want to close with two thoughts to remember. When you get a no from God, just two things to remember when God says no. Number one, believe this. Everything God does, he does out of love. Everything God does, he does out of love. We know the verse. We saw it a few weeks ago. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Do you really believe that God is doing everything in your life for good? I know that when God says no, Satan comes in and whispers, see, he doesn't love you. Uh-huh. He doesn't really care for you. He doesn't have enough power. He can't really deal with that. 
Satan wants to convince us that God is unreliable, undependable, unresponsive, unpredictable, right? But see, God loves you too much to say yes to everything we ask for. God's not a vending machine. Because, you know, not, not everything that comes out of a vending machine is good for us, right? In fact, most things that come out of vending machines are not good for us. And so God says no. And number two, God always gives us grace when he says no. Again, looking back at the Apostle Paul's life, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Friends, that's all you need is his grace. It's sufficient for you. When God says no to your request, he's making available his grace to fill in the gaps. He doesn't say no and just leave you alone. He'd never do that. He's right there with you. You know, I have no doubt in this season of COVID-19 that it's been difficult for you and it's rocked your world. I know it's rocked all of our worlds, right? But has it made your faith stronger? If so, that's a blessing. Has it made your faith more dependent? If so, man, that's good because storms should lead us to dependency. Has it made your faith more sure? That's the point of trials and troubles, my friends. Perhaps you've been praying, God, take this away. Remove this problem. And God is saying, no, I'm not going to remove it. But I'm going to show up in the middle of it. I'm going to take you through the storm, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'll be with you. But, But what about what Jesus said? If you pray in my name, right? And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So therefore... I'm going to give this illustration a couple number of years ago. I had a staff member. I love him dearly. And uh, he would come up with all these plans and all these ideas. And then he would come in and we'd sit down and he'd go, James, we got to get on the same page. <laughs> I'd kind of laugh a little bit. And I'd go, okay, what does that mean? And here's a page over here. And, and I'd say, can I just tell you something? I love you, but we don't have to get on the same page. You have to get on my page. <laughs> I said, I'm not being arrogant, but I am the boss. I am called to shepherd this church. If I had to get on everybody's pages, you know, I'd have like 32 pages that I had to get on. That's, that's ridiculous, right? I, I think when Jesus says, and, and theologians back me up on this. I'm so glad they do. Uh, actually, I agree with them. When Jesus said, ask anything in my name, it means we have to get on Jesus' page. We don't come to God with a page and God go, hmm, here's my page. Here's your page. Why don't we get on the same page? <laughs> To pray in Jesus' names means that whatever we ask for, however we ask, whatever our desire is, it's, we're on Jesus' page. You know, folks, we've got to get on Jesus' page. We've got to get on God's page. It's the best page for us. So how will you respond? How will you respond when God says no? Will you resist God? Fight him every chance you get because you know best? Will you get mad at him, curse him? Yeah, sometimes we do that. <laughs> will you resent God? Do you go out and have a pity party? Yeah, I've done that. And you have too, yeah. Do we doubt his love for us? Of course, absolutely. Or will you relax? And will you rest and rejoice knowing you have a heavenly father that cares for you and has your best interest for you? Because friends, he does have a bigger perspective, a better plan, and a better purpose for you and for me. Would you pray with me? As our worship team comes up, I want to offer a prayer and we're going to sing and close our service, but why don't you just bow your heads right now. I want you to think about this. There's something you've been asking for. There's something you've been praying for. There's something you've been desiring in your heart. And I'm just going to assume it's good. 
it's good. It's, it's what you think is right in front of you, and, it, and you've, you're putting your best in that. Yeah, maybe it's a sinful, selfish thing. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about your, your intensity of your heart's desires out there, and yet you just don't hear anything from God, or God is saying no. I want to pray for you because I've been there. Father, I pray for my friends and my, my church family, and they're crying out to you. Maybe, maybe that's a deeply emotional time right now. I know I'm going through that. It's a, a time of anxiety. I know we're all going through that with COVID. It's a time where we question what to do, what's the right course. We want to do what's right. God, would you speak to us? Reveal to us your grace in the midst of it. Reveal a bigger plan. Maybe in the midst of the, the brokenness of COVID-19, you want to do something great in our lives. Maybe we are to be the salt and light of the world. Imagine, God, what we would be like if we were the ones leading into peacefulness, leading into a lack of anxiety, leading people into meditating on you, on your word, and finding peace in the midst of a storm. God, if we haven't been that, if we've faltered in this, that reveals that lack of maturity, grow us up so that we could still stand before people who have no faith and no hope And jump into this relationship and remind them of the hope. And to be an example, not perfect, but of someone who has salt and light in the world, hope and grace-filled living. May people look at us and go, why are you so peaceful? Why are you not stressed out? Why are you not filled with anxiety? And, And we give the answer, because God is our rock. You are our hope. Father, I, I undoubtedly know that people watching or people that have even come to Sunrise Church in the building There are people that are not yet followers of you. They've never actually prayed in Jesus' name. They've never actually gotten on your page. I want to pray for them right now, God, because that's that's the first step, is coming to you in faith, in obedience, laying down our rights, stop trying to be God, and receiving you as Savior and Lord. Father, I want to pray for men and women, young and old, they'd be watching that have never really come to faith in you. They've never really gotten on your page. They've never really truly prayed in Jesus' name. I pray they would do so right now, that they would come in faith, they would bow before you, they would submit themselves to you in humility, call out to you for true eternal life. I pray they would confess their sins, confess their brokenness and rebellion, And they would receive you as Savior and Lord. Father, change hearts, because that's why we are here today, to be salt and light in our community, to lead others to faith in Jesus. And this we pray in his name. Amen.